Our scripture reading for this evening is from Matthew chapter 5 and then from James chapter 1. So first of all, Matthew chapter 5, page 1500, or 1501 in your New Testaments. Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And in these next verses are our text. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So far from Matthew, and then if you would go with me to James, letter of James, page 1880, and listen to what James writes. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, 
that we might be kind of first fruit, a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in Acts chapter 16, we read the story of Paul and Silas, who were in Philippi one time on one of their missionary journeys when they ran into serious trouble. And their problems came after they cast an evil spirit out of a slave girl. Strange that one would get in trouble for doing a, a good deed, but this particular spirit in question allowed the girl to tell the future, making the girl a real source of income for her owners. Once the spirit was cast out, however, the source of income was gone, the source of revenue. And so this understandably disturbed her owners who went after Paul and Silas and dragged them before the local authorities. The charges against the apostles was disturbing the peace. And in response, the authorities had Paul and Silas beaten severely, placed in prison in the inner cell with their legs fastened in the stocks, which was an instrument also used for torture. So for helping this particular slave girl, the apostles were persecuted. And what did Paul and Silas do? Acts 16, 25, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Amazing. More than a hundred years later, in AD 155, Polycarp, the 86-year-old bishop of Smyrna, was dragged before the Roman magistrate who ordered him to recant, to give up his Christian faith or die. Polycarp is recorded as replying, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? Refusing to deny his Lord, Polycarp was then burned at the stake. And as the flames consumed his body, he lifted up his voice in prayer, saying, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of our well-beloved and ever-blessed Son, by whom we know you, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour. And then he died. Amazing. In 1567, the Belgian reformer Guido de Bray, who is the author of the Belgian Confession, wrote to his wife Catherine from the foul dungeon in which he was imprisoned for his faith. He wrote these words shortly before he was hanged. This is his letter. My dear and well-beloved wife in our Lord Jesus, your grief and anguish troubling me in the midst of my joy and gladness is the cause of my writing you this present letter. I pray you, my dear and faithful companion, to be glad with me and to thank the good God for what he is doing, for he does nothing but what is altogether right and good. I am shut up in the strongest and wretchedest of dungeons, so dark and gloomy that it goes by the name of the black hole. I get but little air and that of the foulest. I have on my hands and feet heavy irons, which are a constant torture, galling the flesh even to my poor bones. 
But notwithstanding all, my God fails not to make good his promise and to comfort my heart and to give me a most blessed content. Amazing. Those are about three stories, and they represent but the smallest tip of an iceberg of those kinds of stories. The Apostle James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Really? Amazing. How does that work? And how are we to understand these portions of Scripture? If you have Matthew open, and Matthew chapter 5 open with you there, then you'll note that in the 8th Beatitude, just preceding verse 11, so in verse 10, we are reminded of the reality of such a thing as persecution, something which has been part of the life of God's people throughout history, and even today continues at an unprecedented pace. As a matter of fact, we're told that these days there are more Christians being persecuted for the faith than ever before in history. Now the writer of the book of Hebrews would understand Christians in places such as North Korea and Eritrea and Pakistan and Nigeria and Iran and China and so many other countries. He would understand what's happening to them because he lived during a time when the church faced unprecedented persecution from the governing authorities and from the society around them. And as the writer of Hebrews wrote his book, he wanted his readers to know that not, on, not only that he believed them and that he understood them, but he also wanted his readers to understand that what they were experiencing in the early church was really nothing new. And because it was nothing new, they could learn from those who had gone on ahead. And so his, in his famous chapter on the heroes of faith, he wrote about Old Testament believers and prophets who were tortured and imprisoned some faced jeers and flogging in chapter 11, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in the caves and in holes of the ground. And their only crime? They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, persecution is everywhere, and it comes in many different forms. In some parts of this world, persecution is blatant. And if you read magazines like The Voice of the Martyr, or if you follow such organizations as, as Open Doors and so forth, you will be aware of such blatant persecution. Here in North America, it tends to be somewhat uh, more subtle, but nonetheless, just as real. Now, the fact that there is persecution, that believers are persecuted for their faith, should not surprise us. Jesus himself said it would happen. Jesus said this to his disciples and consequently to us, if they persecuted me, which they did of course, even to death on the cross. They will persecute you also, John 15, 20. 
In fact, being persecuted and being a Christian kind of goes hand in hand. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, anyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. It seems to be a matter of course. What else can you expect? But please know that the persecution spoke of in the eighth beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 10, does not refer to persecution that springs from political beliefs or the color of one's skin or even the persecution that comes from one's social standing or of one just being um, poor socially with lots of other people. But the persecution spoken of springs from one's faith because of righteousness, because of me, referring to Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And in verse 11, Jesus repeats the reason for the persecution. And he's not speaking there about persecution because of age or language or culture or anything of the sort. But he's speaking strictly about persecution for being a disciple of his. For my sake, because of me. And Jesus taught very clearly not only that those who follow him will be persecuted, but the reason believers are persecuted is because by nature, by renewed nature, they're being persecuted basically because they're different from others. Not better, but difference. What's the difference? Well, the believer knows that he's not, he or she is not his own. But the believer understands, as we sang so powerfully this morning, we've been bought with a price, namely the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary. And so we know that we belong to him. Knowing that we belong to him and that we've been bought by him, that he is our Lord, as we looked at a few weeks ago, means that then we want to live our life in response to Jesus. And when you recognize Jesus as Lord, it is Jesus who then has authority in your life. It's Jesus to whom you pledge your allegiance. And that causes problems in all parts of the world. And moreover, when you know Jesus, you set your mind and your heart and your soul, as Colossians 3 puts it, on things of heaven. And you put, and you put the things of earth in a broader perspective. You kind of put them in an internal perspective. And when you are a believer, you then also march to the tune of a different or the beat of a different drummer. And so you put aside all sorts of acts, sinful acts of the sinful nature. Galatians 5 talks about those, sexual immorality. You put that aside, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. You put that all beside. That's not part of your life. It's not who you are. And when you are a believer, you will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So as believers, you are to be different. We are to be different people. And so it is when you're a believer also that you're going to react differently when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake. When you're persecuted, that means that thoughts of revenge or hatred and so on are not going to be there. But you're going to expect persecution. Now, all of that seems somehow 
backward. For if you go through all of the Beatitudes, and surely a person who is merciful or pure in heart or a peacemaker or meek or all those kinds of things would be someone that we would set up as an example to follow. One would expect that one who strives for the same perfection and the wonderful qualities that Jesus had would be universally accepted and loved and applauded. However, that, biblically speaking and historically speaking, has not been the case. We saw that this morning. Jesus himself is a case in point. The perfect Son of God, sinless, holy, right, holy, righteous, kind, and gentle. I find no fault in him. Surely one to accept and to imitate. Look what happened to him. We want Barabbas. Crucify him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He was hated by the world. He was ridiculed, spat upon, slapped about, crucified, killed. I guess in some way it only goes to show that those walking in darkness really aren't terribly interested in righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One would expect that those who are seeking to walk in the ways of Jesus, truly walk in the ways of Jesus, would not be persecuted but applauded. <coughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Well, in the face of such anticipated of course, persecution. Jesus teaches us how to respond. And in teaching us how to respond, he teaches us that Christians must not retaliate. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Oh, it's tough to do. All of this is tough to do. When someone lashes out at us or makes fun of us, the first thing we often feel like doing is snapping back, hitting back. Vengeance is something that seems to come naturally to us. However, Jesus teaches and shows us by his own example that the ways of the kingdom are very different from the ways of the world. And as kingdom citizens, we are to be different because we follow the Lord of the kingdom. Jesus did not retaliate against his enemies as he hung on the cross. Remember, he prayed for them. He prayed that the Father would forgive them because they were ignorant of what they were doing. And if we truly say that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus, then we also are called upon to imitate him. To retaliate would make the believer no different in mindset from the persecutor. But a Christian is different, remember? Cleansed through Jesus, belonging now to Jesus. The New Testament deacon Stephen, Paul and Silas, Polycarp, Guido de Bray, later on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others all showed something of the power of the Spirit in their responses to persecution and to the trouble they were in. They did not retaliate. 
But the Bible teaches that we must even go further than simply not retaliating. We must not also must not resent persecution. To control our tempers and tongues is one thing, but we must not even be filled with resentment or bitterness over what they are doing to us. To be a Christian means much more than that we repress some feelings and some actions. That would be like living in a straitjacket. Christianity is a whole lot more than a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't get angry, don't retaliate, and so on. Being a true Christian is getting beyond all that. And getting beyond merely restricting some actions is where true freedom in Christ appears. There was no resentment. I hope you noticed that. There was no resentment at all in Guido de Bray's letter to his wife Catherine. Rather, there was hope and comfort assurance, even joy. And he was bothered by the fact that she was bothered because of where he was. And so it is that Stephen could pray like Jesus did and that the Lord could forgive his killers for what they did to him. And so it was that Paul and Silas sang hymns of praise in the middle of the night. Now we must go a step further. We not only ought not to retaliate against the persecution or resent it, but we are of all things to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Really? Because as James writes, the testing of your faith develops perseverance, which in turn leads to maturity, Christian maturity. The kingdom of heaven really, and the Bible really turns things upside down, doesn't it? Persecution for righteousness' sake did not stop Jesus from going through with the plan of salvation. No, he set his eyes to go to Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. He was determined because it was right and it was the only way to save his people. Now, I'm having a hard time with all this stuff, and all this stuff might be difficult for us to grasp because our human instinct often will not let us get beyond the retaliation stage. Someone hurts us or challenges us, we want to retaliate. That seems to make sense. But as the entire list of Beatitudes will tell us, Christians are to be different in Christ because of Christ. Christians are different, not better, but different. And their reaction to persecution is to be different as well. We must reflect the stance of the kingdom, where Jesus says, love your enemy. And later on in Romans 12, verse 20, a proverb is quoted concerning one's enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll keep burning coals on his head. And then the apostle adds, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you do this, evil has no grounds for attack, no grounds for persecution. So the incredible tough message of the kingdom and the tough approach of the kingdom is when, pers when persecuted, do not retaliate, do not resent, do not hate your persecutors. Instead, rejoice and be glad. Wow, talk about tough. This is a tall order, which leaves me with two questions. Why is the Christian to rejoice and how in the world is it possible to do so. 
Now when we talk about rejoicing in persecution, it should be noted that we are not to rejoice in the mere fact of persecution. It's not like we're going to be jumping up and down with glee. Yay, you're persecuting me, you're hitting me and knocking me all over. The fact that believers are losing their lives or are suffering for their faith is terrible. And it's regrettable. And the fact that it does happen can only leave, fill us and leave us with a deep sense of grief. For when a part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And that's what happened in persecution. <clears throat> well, what about then the call to rejoice and be glad or even exceedingly glad? Jesus answers that question in verse 12 of Matthew 5. We rejoice because the persecution received for Christ's sake is proof to the believer of who he is and what he is. As Jesus said, for the, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's an identification there made with the prophets of old. So in a sense, the persecution flies back in the face of the persecutor. For while it's his desire to pull you away to make you denounce Christ, instead the Christian can turn to the persecutor and declare, thank you. You are giving me proof that indeed I am a child of God. Sounds strange, but there's proof there. James argues this way too, saying that persecution is proof of your calling, proof that you're part of God's family. It's something that makes you know for certain you're a child of God, but it has to be, of course, persecution because of me. So when Jesus speaks of believers rejoicing because of persecution, it's something we do because it means we are totally identified with Christ. His suffering is made complete in us. If we are being insulted and maligned falsely and persecuted for his sake, it must mean that our lives have become like his and we indeed reflect him. In some sense, his suffering, as I just mentioned, is made complete in our suffering. And there's an element of excitement about that. That's what we strive for. That's what we pray for. Imagine being like Jesus. Pastor John always prays that we might be transformed more and more to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now imagine that indeed we are like Jesus and the world recognizes it. And then persecutes us because they didn't like Jesus, so they don't like us. That's something that many people who have suffered for the faith have said. It's an honor to be recognized as a child of the Lord and to suffer for him. And not only do we rejoice in persecution because being persecuted puts us in league with Christ, but we also rejoice because great is your reward in heaven, verse 12. In some ways, you know, persecution is the world telling the Christian that they don't really belong to the world, in the world, but not of it. They're different. You obviously belong to a different realm. My kingdom is not of this world. And the realm the world may not, the realm the world may not be able to identify is, of course, that, that kingdom of heaven. A believer knows and understands that the things of this world will pass away. And our future, our hope, lies on the new earth with the Lord. Persecution in some way only drives home that point. 
Stephen, the first martyr, saw heaven opened as they were attacking him. Debray, as he sat in prison, saw beyond the present to the future, a glorious future with his Lord. So those believers and many others throughout the centuries have been able to look past the insults, past the hangman's noose, past the lions, past the flames, to heaven. All those things could not burn them and really couldn't ultimately hurt them because there was that inheritance kept in store for them. As James writes in chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Happy is the one. The happiness comes from the fact that one suffers on Jesus' account and that something far better awaits. The happiness comes from the knowledge that one's sins are forgiven and there's a new life in Christ, a life that even now is part of the eternal glory promised by the gospel. The happiness, the blessedness, also comes from the fact that the Christian knows that the persecutor, while he thinks he has the final word, does not have the final word. We sang it in the words that uh, Martin Luther wrote in The Mighty Fortress. He said, let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Indeed, in the unchanging nature of God's promises and in the knowledge that nothing can snatch us out of his hand, the persecuted find their happiness. The comfort of knowing that one belongs to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, has allowed many a suffering Christian to stand firm in the faith. And therefore it was that Paul and Silas could sit fastened to the stocks in the inner cell of the Philippian jail and sing hymns in the middle of the night. Therefore it was that Stephen could pray, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So it was that Polycarp could pray, I thank you that you have graciously thought me worthy of this day and of this hour. And such reactions to persecutions have occurred repeatedly. Those who have died for the faith who die believing the Lord Jesus, hear the Lord say to them today, you will be with me in paradise. Dr. Lloyd-Jones put it this way in summary. He said, quote, the command of the Lord is to be rejoice and be glad. If people are unkind and cruel and spiteful and if we are being persecuted, well, then we must say to ourselves, ah, unhappy people. They are doing this because they do not know him and they do not understand me. They're incidentally proving to me that I belong to him and that I'm going to be with him and share in that joy with him. Therefore, far from resenting it and wanting to hit back or being depressed by it, it makes me realize all the more what's awaiting me. I have a joy of unspeakable a joy unspeakable and full of glory waiting me. All this is but temporary and passing. It cannot affect that. And I must thank God for it. Amazing. Even in persecution, we can know that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, as Romans 8 puts it. 
Therefore, blessed are, are hap, or happy are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. What a unique message in a world where there is so much suffering. Amen. Let's pray together. O Lord, we have heard your word. Rejoice and be glad in the midst of your persecuted suffering. Strange words to our ears, so different from what our thoughts would be. And yet, Lord, we give you thanks for those who have gone before, for those who have left their legacy of, of praise and thanksgiving and the stories about how they have died and how they have faced death. Oh Lord, we understand that if we are indeed are your children, we're going to be persecuted. People aren't going to understand us like they didn't understand you. They persecuted you, Lord Jesus, and you went all the way to the cross and you suffered for us. And now, Lord, we should anticipate also being persecuted. And we know that your people are being persecuted, being sidelined around the world, also in this country. In the midst of all of that, O oh Lord, we pray that your people may continue to be bold. That we may not shy away from the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, for those who are doing the persecuting, those who are doing the shoving aside, those who are considered considering Christianity and the faith as being something not worth dealing with at all. We pray that in us they may come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that they may know you too. Many of our fellow brothers and sisters in parts of this world have told us do not pray for an end to persecution because it's through persecution that the church continues to grow. But they do say, oh, they do ask us to help them to remain bold and strong and courageous. And so, Lord, we pray that for them. We pray that your spirit would fill your people and that your people would rise up all over this globe and stand firm in the good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we know that one day you will come again and that all things will be made new. Those who have gone before and those who are living now cry out, how long, O Lord, how long? Indeed, how long? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And help us to, and meanwhile, to understand that this strange yet wonderful, kind of backward compared to the rest of our world, message of the scripture rejoice and be glad even in your persecution to you be the glory for your wondrous gospel in jesus name we pray amen